Let's take our Bibles and go to the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 30. We're going to take a look this morning at a message titled, War and the Soldier. We're going to advance this idea, combating and fighting evil is a noble thing. And Russ, I think with your songs, especially the first one, it's going to dovetail perfectly because there's a lot of people today that uh, do not appreciate the sacrifice of people that have fought evil, whether it's on a local level or whether it's in foreign wars. And so what we're going to look at is the greatest soldier in the Old Testament, the one that we have the most details on, on his personal life and how he did his military campaigns. The guy we know is the shepherd king, King David. We're going to take a look at what the Bible teaches in regards to leadership. So guys, hone in on this. This is an outstanding passage, not only for military strategy, not only for leadership, but also understanding how is the just way to fight a war. If you've read your Bible much at all, you'll see that there are restrictions in the Bible on killing. The Bible says do not murder in the context. It is do not uh, do not murder. It says do not kill. But there are many situations in which God actually commanded the people in the Old Testament to take life in a just war and in cases for a capital punishment of crime that, that met that criteria. And even in the New Testament, we see in Romans chapter 13 to where God says, I have established government to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. But sometimes for us Christians today, we say, how should I actually understand the use of force? So we're going to look at how David did it. Then we're going to walk through how he was a great leader. Then we're going to come back at the end and look at what the Bible tells us about us as New Testament believers and how we apply these concepts to how we operate. So here's some leadership principles in combating evil. Let me give you the, the background. David is a fugitive on the run. He's a fugitive from injustice. He's running from a, a we could say, a psychotic type of king named King Saul. Here's how bad the king was. He had mood swings to the point to where one time he totally snapped and he grabbed his spear. Imagine you're meeting with your boss. And the boss is prone to temper tantrums. But this time the boss goes for a deadly weapon, a spear... I know all of your bosses have spears in their offices, right? And he grabs this spear and he tries to pin you to the wall. And David dodged the spear and he said, you know what? I have to run for my life. So David went into the wilderness. So so this is kind of like fugitive uh, combined with survivor man, uh, combined with uh, Bear grills. Like so truly he's in the wilderness and he's being chased. And then if you have your Bibles, you can go back to chapter 26 and note, you can go back and read it later. But in chapter 26, he had the chance to kill Saul. But you know what he did not do? He did not take Saul's life because he said, you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Time out. Do we realize how high of a degree of respect David had for the authority of God? You didn't do anything wrong. You're David. The king's trying to kill you simply because you were better in war than he was. And because you took, you took it on the chin. You were the one who challenged Goliath. He should have done it, but he didn't. And now he's trying to kill. This is crazy. You're being punished by someone 
who should have done the job that you had to step up to do. And have you ever been there? David's on the run. Then he goes to the Philistines. He goes to the very people that wanted to kill him to begin with. And he's there in chapter 29. He's, he's, he's in cahoots with Achish king of Gath. Does anybody remember where Goliath was from? Gath. This is a low point in David's leadership. He's trying to find someone to protect him, someone to team up with. So what happened between chapter 29 and chapter 30 is the Amalekites there in verse number 1 of chapter 30. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag and against David's wilderness fortress. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Here is a point in David's life to where he's trying to survive, he's trying to lead, and he made a miscalculation. Guys, have you ever made one of those before? You're trying to lead your family. You're trying to lead a business. And you make what you think is a fatal miscalculation. And you come back. And you come over those hills. You're coming down into the wilderness. And you don't see the city first. You see the smoke billowing up. And you think, oh God in heaven, what happened? And the closer they get, I'm sure David and his men ran the closer they got. They were foot soldiers. They were they were skilled in warfare. But they came... And they looked at the town. It was totally burned. And they were probably expecting to find the bodies of their murdered families. But all they found was the empty silence of a burned city. And they had no idea what had happened to their families. All that they knew is they were not there and they were in enemy hands. Guys, imagine the thoughts that would go through your mind. You've been trying to go on a campaign to protect your family. But the enemy knew when dad was not home. And they came. And hit your families at a weak point. You imagine, God, where is my wife? How is she being treated? What's happening to my children? Have they already been sold into slavery? And so they wept up. Verse 4 says, they wept. Imagine this, guys. You wept. A group of warriors, 600 men strong, until you had no more strength to weep. David, at this point, was at a low valley in his life. And David's both, he had two wives. It doesn't make it right, but the Bible is clear in explaining both the good things in people's, their, their, their walk with God in the Old Testament and also the bad parts. David's family was gone. And in verse number six, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. But, guys, get this, David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. You see, David, in leading a leadership principle in combating evil, is we don't combat evil to exact revenge. We combat evil to balance the scales of justice. And let me give you, there's a great Christian who lived in the 4th century named Augustine. Some people call him 
Augustine. And he gave six principles for a just war. They're in your outline, but I'll, I'll read it here. Number one, to go to war, you must have just authority. In other words, you cannot get a group... And it's just a, a group with no recognized authority and say we're going to go to war. Secondly, you have to have a just cause. Is the reason why we're going to war a good, right cause? You also have to have, number three, the right intention. Are we going to war simply to pillage and to rape and to plunder? Or are we going to balance justice and free those who are in slavery? Also, war must be a last resort means that it shouldn't be the first response we have. Number five, it should be proportionality. For example, if someone were, if we were in the Old Testament and someone were to come across the lines of Judah and you were there with David and they stole your herd of donkeys, does not give you license to go to their land and kill everybody there. And number six, there has to be the probability of success. So here is David. Having, having experienced a critical failure of leadership, having experienced his own men turning on him. But the Bible tells us that he strengthened himself in the Lord. And notice what happens in verse number 7. David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, which was the priestly garment. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. Notice what he asks. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Guys, a lot of us would have not even asked that question. We would have already gone off half-cocked, but at this point in David's life, gentlemen, he understood the necessity of a daily walk with God and asking God, what should I do? And then he, God answered, and God said to pursue them. Pursue and you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. So David set out there in verse number 9 with these men. But 200 of the men, they had already been on a campaign. They were too exhausted to go, so they stayed behind. And as they were going there in verse number 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country. This man had been a slave of an Amalekite master. And he had been left in the wilderness to die. It had been three days since he had eaten anything or drank anything. He was close to death. What we see here in David is he was giving mercy to the helpless. Men, leadership, and even in war, it is a noble and honorable thing to give mercy to the helpless. In the Gulf War, the Iraqis who were surrendering said, we know that when we surrender, and you remember the, the, the TV, right? Watching and seeing them come, just Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds surrendering. They still had their Quran. As if to say, I will lay down my arms, but I will not lay down my religion. And they said, the first thing that the American soldiers give you is a bottle of water. That is a testament. That is a testament to giving mercy from a culture, Christian, Christianized culture in the U.S., Even though we're so far from what we should be, there's still a Christian memory so that we give mercy to the helpless. And David, notice what he didn't do. He didn't immediately say, well, you were, did you take part in this raid? I, therefore, I'm going to torture you. I, therefore, I'm going to subject you to inhumane practices. No, David actually gave this guy food. And notice what he didn't do after the guy actually led him to where the Amalekites were. He didn't take his life. You see, a good leader is resourceful for what he has. 
Notice David didn't go into the situation having a plan and wanting to do the plan. He was able to adapt. You see, guys, good leaders are flexible and willing to adapt with whatever God provides in order to accomplish that goal. And then there in verse number 16, when this man who had been discarded brought David and his men down. Notice it says that the Amalekites were eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man escaped except for 400 young men who had mounted camels and fled. You see, this is an example to where David says, I will defeat the enemy. Not just simply kill people to make a political point. Let's just take a time out. When our leaders suggest that we should simply launch cruise missiles into a country to make a political point, I believe that Christians should oppose that. It does not fulfill just war requirement. It is not according to God's word. When we go to war, we go to war to win. Y'all all right? You do not put soldiers out on the fighting lines and give them all sorts of restrictive rules to say basically you're there to be cannon fodder to make a political point. There has to be men shot in your platoon before you're able to fire back. No, the lives of soldiers are precious. They are made in the image of God, no matter what nation they come from. And if it comes to it in the future, unless Jesus comes back, there will be, Jesus says, what? Wars and rumors of war. So war is coming. It's coming. Whether medium-sized, large, great, small. And we need to have Christians to have a biblical worldview and say you don't put them there unless you let them win. And you can make your political point another way, but not with the lives of soldiers. And they should be supported. So David went and he says, we will win. We will defeat the enemy. And they did. And notice what happened afterward. This is so interesting. Afterwards, you see there in verse number 21, they, they, these 400 hardcore P90X CrossFit soldiers who were able to go all the way to Philistia, come all the way to the wilderness, then go pursue and find this band of Amalekites, fight them, defeat them, and then get back home Some of them started saying, the Bible says, the worthless men, the sons of Belial, meaning the dirt bags. They said, you know what? Those 200 guys that weren't able to come, they don't get any of the spoil. In other words, if you didn't come, you don't get to get the blessings. And David says, no, sir. He says, there in verse number 23. And David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord, look at this, what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. David's saying, no, 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 this is not our victory. It's the Lord's victory. He's saying that, listen, when it comes to war and when it comes to battle, when the bullets fly, whether it is the munitions carriers behind the lines, whether it's the sniper providing support, whether it's the attack helicopters, everybody has a place and everybody has a part in the victory. Napoleon said, once men are baptized in the fire of battle, there is one rank. This is what David did here. He overcame pettiness in order to promote unity. Some of you guys are like, well, that's great, Jeff. You've given us an Old Testament history lesson. 
But how in the world does this apply? I think some of us overlook the fact that a soldier's life mirrors that of a follower of Jesus. Let's just walk through how the gospel mirrors a soldier's life. We know from the Bible and the New Testament that Christ followers, Christians, fight and suffer as one body. Let me give you a verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. The Apostle Paul calls his buddy, his friend, his fellow soldier... Epaphroditus. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aims is to please the one who enlisted him. Listen, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're saved and you love Jesus, you have a family to do life with together. There's a saying in the armed forces that you don't leave anybody behind. Right, soldiers? You don't leave them. You're, you're the band of brothers. You have a unified focus. One of my friends is a Marine. He was in combat and he says, Jeff, and he, he says, when I was in the Marine Corps, he says, even though I've been, he's, he does missions in South America full time now. He says, even though I've done missions in foreign countries and in sketchy places, he says, I, I hate to say this, But I have not found the bond in the body of Christ stronger than it was when I was in the Marine Corps. You know what? I think there may be some truth to that. And it's this. In many churches, and if we can be honest at times in our lives, we have lost the focus on winning the battle. Have we not? We've come to church. We've gone through the motions. But Jesus says our job is to go throughout all the world and make disciples of every nation. That means our finances and our time. By the way, man, I was telling Fred, most pastors, you know where they're not on Memorial Day? They don't preach. They get somebody else too. Because you know what they say the second lowest attended day is out of the year outside of Labor Day in church? Memorial Day. And a bunch of y'all came. Amen. Hey, come on. See, that doesn't apply to us. It means, man, look, when, when you're in, when you're in battle and when you're in war together, when you're in combat, there's something about that that molds people together. And not just combat, but if you've ever gone through a time in your life to where someone's had a physical illness or it's been horrible financially and you have that person or those people that are by you. They say, I am with you. We are in this together. I will not leave you. And almost in a shadow of the words of Jesus, I will not forsake you. You see, that's a good thing about the gospel. Not only will Jesus never leave you and he'll never forsake you, but you can be in prison like Paul, an old man, and he can give you an Epaphroditus. He can give you a man who is there. He will give you a friend and say, you know what? All the others have left, but I have someone that I can call my fellow soldier should never be said that a christian has no friends if you are a christian and if you love people you have friends y'all all right if we love people if we pour into people they will most of the time love us in return i love what clara barton said if you've never heard of her she was called the angel of the battlefield during the american war between the states She cared for Union and Confederate soldiers. And here's what she said. 
She says, I may be compelled to face danger, but never fear it. And while our soldiers can stand and fight, I can stand and feed and nurse them. Boy, what a great parallel to the gospel. Everybody can do something for Jesus. Amen? I mean, everybody can. And I'm amazed. In these 33 years that I've lived and been able to work with, be a team with y'all for almost four years now. It's amazing how many times people will say things like, well, I can't such and such. I don't know if I'm gifted for such and such. Listen, that's not the voice of God. That's the enemy. The voice of God says that he can take 400 ragtag guys hiding in the desert trying to survive and lead them on a campaign to kill the enemy, to defeat the enemy, bring back their wives and their daughters and their sons for God's glory. And David understood that. And men, if we can be honest, and ladies as well, every success that God has ever granted us, it's because He is gracious. The money that we make and that we save and the children that God allows people to have, it is His gift. Romans chapter 15, verse 1, applies to some of us. I've heard some people say, you know what, Jeff? I just don't have a a problem with people in general. I just have a problem with stupid people. I mean, man, some of y'all act like you don't ever say that. Some people, Jeff, it's just, well, they're just, I'm not, they're just stupid. And and I, I have, I have difficulty dealing with that. Let me give you a verse that's very helpful. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Let me read that one more time. And if you know somebody that gets irritated at you and they're sitting near you, you can elbow them at this time. Let me read it again. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation or a duty to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. Have you ever thought about how war works? Some people have said the old men start wars and the young men die in wars. But think about a just war. Who normally goes on the front lines to fight? It's the young men. The young men are bearing the burdens in that uniform in a, in a combat role to say, I will protect my family. I will protect the old people. I will protect the people who are physically handicapped. I will protect the people who not, may not be physically handicapped, but they're mentally handicapped. And I am here, and all of the burden is placed biblically. And we are so thankful for everyone who serves in the military, but as far as biblically, a combat role. I love what John Piper says, and this may offend some of you, but it is a sign of cultural cowardice when they place their young women on the front lines to defend the men. And I agree with Piper. It is a sign of cultural cowardice. That has nothing to do with whether a man can shoot better than the ladies. In fact, some of you ladies made it very, very, very clear that you were not at all, some of y'all know where this is going, excited about the men's only skeet shoot last Saturday. And and listen, and there are actually shooting instructors that say many times women can actually shoot better than men because men, every man knows how to shoot, right? Right, guys? And a man won't listen to the instructions, but the ladies will, and she'll outshoot the men, and the men won't bring her shooting anymore because they don't want to be outshot. 
has nothing to do with intelligence, has nothing to do with the ability to serve in a combat role in terms of accuracy, uh, munitions, and so forth. But it is an issue that biblically, guys, God has placed us to provide and if needs die for those who need defending. You see, if God has given you strength, if it seems like you are the person in your life that everybody else is having emotional meltdowns, you're the one that they look to. And by the way, men, we need to ask God to make us strong. Not arrogantly strong, but make us emotionally strong. Y'all all right? You say, when things, when things happen that are bad, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna go nuts. I'm not gonna go get high. I'm not gonna get drunk. I'm not going to let my frustration spill over and chew my wife out. For the glory of God, Jesus, please help me. If your child gets sick, you say, Jesus, help me to be strong. And if God has given you that strength, oh, he's given you that strength so that you can carry those with your strength who have no strength. And not only that, all things considered, it is his strength. Guys and ladies, if you're strong, it's his strength anyway that he's given you to make him look good and for you to be full of joy and so that other people are rescued and the weak are made strong through your strength as Christ gives it to you. Let's ask God to help us to be tender, yes, but strong. Amen? And guys, it starts with us. If you, and we're not talking about, sh- uh, about not crying. In fact, we see these great warriors. They wept men together, hundreds of men. They wept until they had no strength. Manhood has nothing to do, leadership has nothing to do with being unable or scared to share your emotions. What it means is when the bullets begin to fly, we are there in a spiritual leadership role for our family. University of Texas at Austin had an incredible commencement speech by Admiral William McCraven. He's a Navy SEAL. By the way, if you have the last name McCraven, that's just awesome anyway. Here's what he said about his SEAL training. He says, during SEAL training, students are broken down into boat crews. Each crew is seven students, three on each side and of a small rubber boat and one coastway to help guide the boat. Every day, your boat crew forms up on the beach and is instructed to get through the surf zone and paddle several miles down the coast. In the winter, the surf off San Diego, California, can be 8 to 10 feet high. And I don't know if you've ever gotten owned by a wave, but 8 to 10 feet high causes you to wish that you were other places unless you had perfectly caught that wave. He says, and it is is exceedingly difficult to paddle through the plunging surf unless... Get this, unless everyone digs in. Every paddle must be synchronized to the stroke count of the coast swim. Everyone must exert equal effort for the boat or it will turn against the wave and unceremoniously tossed back on the beach. For the boat to make it to its destination, everyone must paddle. You can't change the world alone. You will need some help. And to truly get from your starting point to your destination takes friends, colleagues, the goodwill of strangers, and a strong coastline to guide them. If you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. That is not simply a motivational speech. That is a parallel to the New Testament of God. 
God's word. That we are a family. We are the body of Christ. And we can help one another paddle to get where God wants us to be. And then the Craven goes on to recount the toughest night during the hell week of the SEAL training. He said it was bone-shatteringly cold. And then one of the men, at night, they're there freezing. One of the men starts to sing a song. And it was horribly out of tune. Some of y'all, I'm talking about, play that radio. Some, some will get that. Some, some will just not. Horribly out of tune. And then another man joined in the singing. And then it wasn't too long, he said, until the entire company was singing through the suffering. And he said, quote, we knew then if one man could rise above the misery, the others could as well. Listen, when you're going through that night of suffering, it is the brothers and sisters of Christ that paddle together, that come together for God's glory and to simply be there. Let it not be when you go through that time in your life that you separate yourself from people. You ever heard that old, old illustration? Say, ha, ha, you've got this fire and you've got all these, these coals. I mean, when you get that hot, that fire to where the coals look almost translucent. They're just orange. They're burning. The heat is so much that you have to take a few steps back. Unless you're the type that likes to burn your marshmallow when you roast it. And then you, you, it's just on fire. They say, how do you get one to lose its fire? You just get your tongs, you reach in, and you remove one ember from the rest. And you place it off to the side. It's the Lord that keeps us on fire for Him. And He uses each other to keep us on task. We see with a soldier's life and David's life that not only does a Christian understand Christ followers, we suffer and fight as one body, but we understand authority. Remember the guy in Matthew chapter 8, the centurion who had that sick servant on death's door? And he said, Jesus, I've got a servant who I love. He needs to be healed. But Jesus, you don't have to actually come. I know that you are a man under the authority of the Father. All you have to say, what church? You just give the command. Because he says, I am a man under authority. I tell to one soldier, come, and he comes. And I tell to another, go, and he goes. And this is so beautiful, friends. Some of us may have had an issue. And Russ, thank you for your, your mini testimony there about not listening to your parents. Listen, a lot of us, we, we have an issue with authority. But do we understand that when we get saved, it is for the first time that we actually put ourselves under authority? Outside of Jesus Christ, we are rebels. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are living. And if this is too honest for you, there's probably plenty of churches around the area that will water down. But living against God is literally raising both hands in defiance and giving God the bird every single day. Saying, God, I will not go to church. I will not read my word. I will not lead my family. I will do what I want to do. And God, you can take a trip. But when we come to that place of repentance, it's where we humble ourselves under his authority. And Christians, we need to remember also, Ephesians chapter 6, that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 there in verse 10, finally be strong. There it is again, guys. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And finally, this is an awesome thing. When we fight when we fight spiritual battles, when we're strong for Jesus Christ, when we share the gospel, 
and our guys are going to play today at 4.30 at our softball game. And I'm so thankful for the leadership on that team. We've been able to pray after every game with the other teams that we have played. We pray that through that, that the name of Jesus will be will be glorified and honored and we'll be able to talk to people about Jesus. But as a Christ follower, we need to remember that we're not just fighting some battle not knowing how it's going to turn out because Revelation chapter 19 tells us that Jesus will win. Come on. It, it, it's not something we're, we're hoping will happen. It's something that he says will happen. You say, well, well, then does it matter if I do anything for Jesus? We have been given life, friends. We've been given the opportunity to pour who we are into Jesus' war. To fight for Him. Not having to kill people for Jesus, but by, by laying down our lives. By going on mission trips. By ministering to the people that we live nearby. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We do not serve some clean-shaven religionist, some slick guy selling snake oil, some, some person from a history book. We serve the, we serve the risen, victorious, to use a wrestler term, the ultimate warrior. Jesus. But he's not just some conquering king out to simply destroy. He is the loving Savior who offers us a chance to be saved. There's a man I knew in Florida by the name of Jess. And he had, from World War II, a German army helmet that had been sent back from his uncle who was fighting in that war. And when the uncle sent the helmet back, it actually had, uh, it had blood stains all, all inside the helmet. And Jess's mom kind of freaked out and she, she cleaned it thoroughly. And when he got back, he was extremely upset because you know what he said? He says, I wanted him, and Jess was just a little boy at the time, he says, I wanted him to see the blood so that he would know how much true freedom really costs. And we think about the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, not simply an example but his brutal death and execution that provides the freedom in Christ to be forgiven of our sins. If you've never been saved or if you've been to church before, you know about Jesus, but you know that there's never been that change, that, 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 that point to where you've been made brand new. You can be saved here today. And all of our brave soldiers who have fought for liberty and freedom, ladies and gentlemen, if it was not for Jesus and what he did to provide the foundation Freedom and liberty would simply be a foreign concept outside of ancient Greece and Rome. And they were just as good at tyranny as they were with a little democracy. But it's through Jesus that we can have freedom.